Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, April 17th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I'm here today with a big bucket of ice-cold water to throw on all of the giddy optimism that I'm seeing out there. Yes, I'm the man of doom and gloom. Sorry, somebody has to do it, right? So gold finally caught its bid this week. It pushed above $1,700 an ounce on Monday and held that key level through most of the week. In fact, we got close to $1,750 on Tuesday. Gold gained more than 80 bucks in the two-day run. I did a short video that I put on our Instagram and Twitter accounts Monday, and I said at the time that it looked like gold was finally starting to reflect the impacts of the trillions of dollars in stimulus. But I also said that I expected to see a lot of volatility in the market in the future, and I wasn't wrong about that. The yellow metal actually plunged overnight, and as I record this podcast, we're back below $1,700 an ounce. The pundits say the big drop is because of optimism. Trump laid out a plan to, quote, reopen America, and there is some talk of an effective COVID-19 drug treatment. There's also some talk of another big stimulus plan coming down the pike from Congress, and that's apparently boosted risk appetite as well. Just a quick side note on the subject of volatility. There's a big disconnect right now between the New York and the London gold market. The New York price has topped $1,750, but London still hasn't caught up. At one point, there was as much as a $60 spread between those two markets. This is due to logistical problems and worries about the ability to move gold to New York to settle futures contracts. Refinery closures and grounded airline flights have made logistics iffy. It's kind of an interesting side note. I'll post a Bloomberg article on the show notes page if you want to read more details about what's going on between those two big gold hubs. At any rate, we saw this big drop in gold overnight, and it's because we're supposed to be optimistic right now. There's light at the end of the coronavirus tunnel, and I think there is, really, in terms of the virus itself and an easing of this government lockdown. But that doesn't mean the economy is just going to snap back to normal. Look, we're not going back to normal. We weren't normal before the pandemic. As I've said for about three weeks in a row, we were already doing extraordinary monetary policy before the pandemic. Rate cuts, repo operations, quantitative easing. The economy was already a mess. This notion that we're just going to turn the key and restart the economy is a myth. I mean, just look at Trump's guidelines. There are like four phases to it. Even if we're restarting, we're not really restarting. It's not like we're about to hop in the car and drive off. It's more like we're going to go outside on a really, really cold day and we're going to fire up the engine and then we're going to go back inside the house and have a cup of coffee while the car warms up for a while. We're not going to zoom off into economic prosperity anytime soon. Honestly, I don't really like being pessimistic. I don't like having to be the guy that throws the cold water in your face, but I feel like somebody has to say this because everybody is still focused on this pin. They're ignoring the bubble. They're all eyes on coronavirus and the shutdown. Of course, this shouldn't be a surprise because they didn't see the bubble before the pandemic. I've been talking about this bubble for a couple of years still. 
they should at least have some awareness of the economic devastation that this shutdown has caused. But they don't even seem to see that. They think because the wound was, quote, self-inflicted, that it's not that bad. It's not a real recession. It's not a real economic collapse. It's not that businesses are closed because the economy is bad. We just decided to close them. Therefore, we can just decide to reopen them and everything's going to be fine. But as Peter Schiff said, it's not that simple. I'm going to borrow Peter's analogy. If I grab a knife and I stab myself in the chest, I'm not okay just because the wound is self-inflicted. It doesn't matter how I got stabbed. What matters is that I have a knife in my chest and I'm bleeding. So I can't just ignore the wound because I was dumb enough to do it myself. I've been saying the same thing for weeks. The economy doesn't stop and start on a dime. Just because we went outside and started the car doesn't mean the crisis ends. We're still inside drinking coffee with the knife stuck in our chest. The economic damage done to the economy by that knife is deep. Let me just give you a few data points that we got this week. Of course, we got the unemployment numbers yesterday. In the three weeks prior, 10% of the U.S. labor force filed for unemployment. Another 5.2 million Americans filed jobless claims this week. That brings the four-week total to nearly 22 million people. We've wiped out nearly all of the job gains since the Great Recession in just four weeks. Look, those people aren't going to just go back to work when government officials hang out an open sign. A lot of those people are never going to have jobs to go back to. Meanwhile, U.S. manufacturing output hit its lowest level since 1946. Factory production dropped at a 7.1% annualized rate in Q1 2020. That's the sharpest decline since the first quarter of 2009 in the midst of the great financial crisis of 08. A separate survey showed New York State manufacturing activity plunged to the lowest level in the history of that survey. And retail sales also plummeted. They were down 8.7% in March. That means we're about to see the biggest plunge in consumer spending in decades. Tell you what, those self-inflicted wounds are a killer, right? Now, there actually are some people in the mainstream that are shouting warning signs. I'm not all by myself. A Reuters columnist pointed out that we can't expect consumers just to snap back to normal when the government begins lifting the coronavirus lockdown. As he put it, when public behavior suffers a shock, it's slow to recover. For instance, the 9-11 attacks shut down airlines for just three days. It took three years for the industry to recover. After the housing crash, it took five years before the balance between builders and buyers was healthy enough to revive the construction industry. As the columnist wrote, quote, There is no doubt that this downturn will be historic in depth, but the nature of the event behind it is at its core a hurdle to an economic restart, a health crisis that has killed more than 28,000 people in the country, according to the latest Reuters tally, and has left fear and confusion in its wake. Behavioral economists note that even much smaller shocks to how people perceive the world can cause lasting effects in how they behave. I think it's pretty solid analysis, but it really still misses the point. It assumes everything was normal to begin with, that there's some normal to return to. It wasn't normal. I've said this like three times now. The economy was a big, fat, ugly debt bubble. 
normal was abnormal. The economy was levered up to the hilt. Consumers were driving the economy with borrowed money. Corporations were already carrying record debt loads. The government was already spending money as if we were in the depths of an economic recession. Coronavirus popped the bubble. It pulled the last piece out of the Jenga game. It turned a fan on to the house of cards. We are not going back to normal anytime soon. Now, let me be clear here. I'm not saying that coronavirus isn't a problem. I mean, even a healthy economy would suffer significant impacts under this kind of shutdown, right? But the government and the central bank response with trillions of dollars in stimulus bailouts and money printing is actually making things worse. This is the arsonist throwing gasoline on the fire that he started. The American government has committed more than $6 trillion to arrest the economic downturn from the COVID-19 pandemic. That's $2.35 trillion in fiscal spending and $4 trillion, give or take, from the Federal Reserve. The figure represents more than a quarter of U.S. economic output. Get this. That means that for the first time since World War II, the nation will owe more than its economy can produce in a given year. The people who are just focusing on coronavirus are missing the bigger picture. You can't understand what's happening now if you don't understand what was happening two months ago. This is spinning into a financial crisis, and that crisis, the foundation was laid for that, I mean, going all the way back into the 1990s. I mean, this is a repeat of the boom-bust cycle that we saw with the dot-com crash and then with the housing crisis. This is the next phase. This is the big crash. On Tuesday, we had this big stock market rally, but it was interesting that financials, the bank stocks, they didn't join the party. And then on Wednesday, we had a big sell-off with the bad economic news that came out. The financials led the plunge. This is telling us something about what's going on. The thing is, the financial sector is the key to the U.S. economy. Now, that's not a good thing. It's not healthy, but you know, it is what it is. We have an economy based on debt. Consumers, corporations, and governments spending borrowed money keeps the economy humming. Just look at the most recent consumer debt numbers. I'll link to an article on the show notes page that gives you all the gory details. Americans were already levered up to their eyeballs before the lockdown of the economy. As Peter put it, when you're seeing this kind of cardiac arrest in the banking sector, this is a sign that there's trouble brewing here when the banks are having so much trouble. So why are banks in trouble? Well, because people are going to be defaulting on their loans, right? I mean, in fact, there was already trouble in the subprime markets before COVID-19. Both subprime credit card and auto loan defaults were rising prior to the pandemic. Defaults are only going to increase with 22 million people suddenly unemployed and small businesses having been shut down for a month now. Peter asked some really key questions in this podcast. If you shut down the economy, How do all the people with debt pay their debt? And if the debt isn't being paid, then by definition, you have a financial crisis. That's why the real estate crisis in 2008 was actually a financial crisis. It wasn't because real estate prices went down. I mean, that was just the beginning. It was because real estate prices going down meant loans that were collateralized by real estate weren't getting repaid. And to the extent that the banks had to foreclose, the collateral wasn't there to make the banks whole. We have the same problem now. People can't pay their debts. They don't have a job. 
Businesses are shut down. Corporations aren't selling anything. You know, this could be an even bigger crisis than it was in 08 because we have a lot more debt. We had a lot more debt before this even started, and now they're piling debt on debt. We have a lot more borrowers who are in trouble. Now, if you don't believe me, just look at what the Fed is doing. It sure the heck is acting like a financial crisis. It's doing everything that it did in 2008, except it's doing it bigger and it's doing it faster. Heck, they've already run out of money for the small business loan program, and that's apparently left a lot of businesses high and dry. Now, here's the question. This is the key question, and I don't know the answer to this. Can they kick the can down the road a little bit farther? Will all of this stimulus keep things limping along? You know, honestly, I think it might. As long as they can keep pumping, there's going to be air in the tire. The problem is they can't fix the hole in the tire. So as soon as they stop pumping, it's going to go completely flat. The question is when. I don't know the answer to that question. It could happen quickly. They might be able to kick this down the road a little bit farther. But basically what they are doing is giving a bunch of people that are already overextended, already leveraged to the hilt, already eyeballs deep in debt. They're giving them more loans. That's the solution to the problem. We're going to loan indebted people more money. You know, they have to pay all that back. They have to pay the loans back that they already have, plus they're going to have to pay the new loans back. So at best, we're borrowing from the future just to keep the can bouncing along. I'm starting to think we might not see the real impact on this whole thing for months. But at some point, it is going to unravel. You can't sustain the unsustainable. As I've said before, all we can really do at this point is be prepared. A shift gold precious metal specialist can help you do that. Just call 1-888-GOLD-160 or you can shoot an email to info at shiftgold.com. Those guys can help you out. They can look at your portfolio and how uh, you know, figure out how you can preserve your wealth in the economic future that is on the horizon. Okay, so once again, I'm running long. So we're going to call that a gold wrap for the week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. And of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to this podcast over at iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, or on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. Links to all that stuff is on the show notes page. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, those are also on the show notes page. I'm starting to do more videos over on Facebook and Instagram. So just check it out, follow along. And uh, as always, I appreciate you listening. Hope you have a great weekend.